It's 12.09. Jeff Wagner, glad to have you with us. Okay, first of all, let's get this out of the way. A couple emails. This is not a bust weather forecast. The bust weather forecasts are where they say you're going to get a foot of snow, and it turns out nothing ends up happening. Um, in this particular situation, the, the forecast and the advisories have now been canceled, but there is some snow moving through the area. And actually, looking at the radar, depending on where you are in our listening area, um, for some people... It's you're, you are getting a burst of, of snow. It just looks like the worst of this is going to be much further to the north than they originally thought. But we're going to get a little bit of snow um, throughout the area. And I will never, ever criticize if it turns out to be a better forecast than we thought. You know, so I'm, I'm not going to be the one saying, hey, you know, they said we might get six inches of snow and it's not going to happen. I'm, I'm glad we're not going to get six inches of snow. Just saying. All right, we have a lot of ground to cover on today's program. At 1 o'clock our time, the Federal Reserve is going to be announcing an interest rate hike. Right after that happens, we're going to be talking to the uh, mortgage miracle worker, Brian um, Wickert, who is uh, going to be giving us some ideas as to what this is going to mean for in the real world for average investors. We'll be talking about that um, in the 1 o'clock hour. A UW professor who hates, hates, hates the voter ID law. He's essentially now saying that Wisconsin voters are too stupid to understand what sort of ID they need. We'll be talking about that as well. If you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. I sent out links to some of the other stories that we are going to be discussing to kind of give you a preview of where we're going. And in the 1 o'clock hour, just in time for Christmas, American Eagle, you know, they're, they're a clothing maker, finds themselves being criticized for a piece of jewelry. And it's one of those it's one of those issues where I'm just kind of fascinated that people think like they do. If you want to get a head start on that and if you want to see the story and a picture of the piece of jewelry that is creating all the controversy, you can simply text the word it's shackles. We did it in plural, right? S S H A C K L E S. Shackles to 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Shackles, S-C-H-A-C-K-L-E-S. Shackles, and we'll send you a link to the story and a picture. We're going to be discussing that during the 1 o'clock hour of the program as well. All right, we start off today's show like we start off every show with three big things. All right, politically, if you if you watch the news today, and last night, if you watch the talking head shows, I, I had Good Morning America on today. George Stephanopoulos was positively giddy. He was, it was all you could do. They needed to put a seatbelt on him to keep him in the stool. He was just jumping up and down so much. Just positively giddy. This is supposedly the end of the Republican Party as we know it. Now, let me back up here. I have tried to be a voice of reason on this program for two decades now. I remember the day after Barack Obama got elected, 2008, everybody was saying, this is the end of the Republican Party. Look for a generation of Democrats. I said, no, politics are cyclical. And what happened? Democrats immediately overreached. Republicans took over. When Mitt Romney lost in 2012, the next day, wasn't focused on how well Republicans had done in other elections, but it was, all right, Barack Obama has won again. Republicans are never, ever going to obtain the White House. This is it. It is a sea change. And I kept saying, no, no, that's not going to happen as well. Well, last night, Roy Moore, who Matt Drudge, you know, from the Drudge Report, never sends out 
never sends out texts. He sent out a text essentially saying something to the extent of, there's a limit on crazy, I guess. Something to that effect. And he was referring, of course, to Roy Moore. Roy Moore loses in Alabama. Very close, but he ends up losing. And again, the commentary, if you read the New York Times, if you read the Washington Post, if you listen to the Talking Head shows, all the liberals are positively giddy. This is disastrous for the Republican Party. This is disastrous for Donald Trump. Well, let me give you a different take on this. As I've been saying for the last couple of days, I personally think this is the best thing that could have happened to the Republican Party. Hear me out. Roy Moore was the worst possible candidate imaginable. Roy Moore is a kook. Now, the Democrats have kooks, too. Gwen Moore is a kook, all right? Now, her kooky stuff doesn't get exposed. She's not running for U.S. Senate, but you know, and she'll continue to be elected Congress to Congress in Milwaukee as long as she wants. But she's a kook. The left has their kooks. Roy Moore, forget all the stuff about the womanizing. Roy Moore is a kook. This is a guy who twice, twice was tossed off the Alabama Supreme Court for being unable to follow the law. All right. And and those of us who are conservatives, we are, you know, opposed to judicial activism. We should be, whether it comes from the right or the left. Roy Moore had extreme positions. Roy Moore was the candidate who was probably the only Republican in Alabama who could have lost that race. He was a terribly flawed candidate in the beginning. Roy Moore in the U.S. Senate would have been an embarrassment in general. So he wins the nomination, and then you have all these stories that come out about how he's got a history when he was in his 30s of dating 16-year-old girls. I I don't know. Whether 40 years ago he groped some 15-year-old girl or not, I, I don't know what to make of that allegation. But there have been enough women coming forward that convinces me that the fact that when he was in his 30s, he was sniffing around malls trying to date 14, 15, 16-year-old girls. And I'm sorry, with apologies to somebody who texted me a couple days ago saying, well, my uncle was 32 and he dated my aunt, he married my aunt when she was 16. Okay, with apologies to that, I stand by what I have said repeatedly. It is not normal for 30, 32, 33-year-old men to be hanging out at malls trying to pick up teenage girls. That, to me, is troubling. But even beyond that, Roy Moore was a kook. If Roy Moore won, what would have happened is... Every Republican candidate running in 2018 would have been saddled with the, oh, you know, Republicans are soft on, you know, uh, people who harass women. Now, they're still going to try to make that argument. But without Roy Moore as the poster child, it becomes a lot more difficult to do that. I think for people who are trying to see this as a national repudiation of Donald Trump or a national repudiation of the Republican Party, no. It was, as Ron Johnson said today, simply a statement that Alabamans don't like 32-year-old men who try to date 14-year-old girls. I, I think it is as simple as that. This was an election that hinged on that one issue. And candidly, I think Republicans all over this country are much better off 
that Roy Moore did not win moving forward. Now, I understand it creates a temporary issue. You've got one fewer vote in the U.S. Senate. But again, as I was arguing yesterday, I think we're playing a long game. And the truth of the matter is, I believe that Roy Moore was simply unfit to be in the U.S. Senate. Moreover, Hopefully, Republicans will learn from this. Republicans in Alabama got suckered into by this snake oil salesman, Steve Bannon, who went out and found, again, a kook to run against a mainstream, solid, pro-Donald Trump uh, conservative, Luther Strange. The Republicans in Alabama went with this guy, and now the Democrats have a seat. The two takeaways to me from this election, number one, Republicans are darn lucky that he lost. And and number two, when you go for these fringe candidates who ultimately are unelectable, you lose seats. This was not a repudiation of Donald Trump. This was not a repudiation of the Republican Party. This was not a repudiation of the Republican agenda. This was a repudiation of a truly awful candidate. 414-799-1620. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I understand that there's some people who say this means the Republican Party is in big trouble in 2018. Well, if the Republican Party doesn't learn the lessons from this election, maybe it will be. But in and of itself, this, I think, is an aberration in the extreme. And again, if I were Doug Jones, the Democrat who won, I, I wouldn't be necessarily buying a house in Washington, D.C., because next time he's up for election, my guess is he's going to lose. 414-799-1620. Is this devastating to the Republican Party? Should George Stephanopoulos be as excited as he is? I think not. And I think the pundits who are saying that are once again badly misreading things. 414-799-1620. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. 1218. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1221. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. The bone scan results are in. And Aaron Rodgers wants to play. How much lobbying power does he have? How much should he have? Greg Matzik is in Green Bay. We'll have the latest in the status of Aaron Rodgers tonight. On uh, Sports Central at 6.07. Um, so check that out. I guess good news. Good news that uh, Rogers is apparently going to play. All right. Story number one, big story number one, Roy Moore loses. I understand that Democrats nationally are jumping up and down. Their allies in the media are talking about, oh, this means big trouble for the Republican Party in 2018. No, no, it doesn't. Unless... What, to me, this election says is that the Republicans nominated, they allowed the the Steve Bannon, um, here we've got this giant money machine, we want to start a Republican civil war to roll in, select an incredibly, incredibly flawed candidate, and that candidate ended up losing. Well, okay, the lesson of this is Republicans are in trouble in 2018 if they continue to allow the party and the candidates to be hijacked by the fringe. And Roy Moore was a fringe candidate. So hopefully people will learn from that. Does it make the job of governing a little more difficult, given the fact that now you now only have 51 senators instead of 52? Yeah, a, a little more difficult. But the big picture is, you know, where our House majority is going to be, where our Senate majority is going to be after the election next November, and hopefully Republicans can learn. Right, Big story number two. I I listened to my friend and colleague, Steve Scafidi, talking about this earlier. I completely disagree with his take, completely. And that's fine. Usually people can disagree. I have argued, now let me back into this. I have argued for the longest time that I think President Trump would do well 
to stay the heck off Twitter. I think his use of Twitter and his thin-skinned nature and the need to kind of what I would describe as punch down to, you know, get into, you know, wedding matches with people who criticize him via Twitter, I, I think... I think it tends to demean the office of the presidency, and I think it tends to hurt President Trump. Now, I know you might disagree with that. Lots of people say, no, this is just Trump being Trump. We love the fact that he's going to you know, punch back on these things. Well, I think it ends up being a distraction. All right, that being said, that being said, it doesn't mean that people who read tweets always are correct in their interpretation. In addition, and I've been saying this over the last couple days, uh, this story that, that broke a couple days ago, well, actually not broke, it's a story from a year ago where you have these women who've come out and they've said that at various points in time in his life, then Donald Trump, entrepreneur, reality TV star, developer, whatever, um, engaged in unbecoming, ha- harassing behavior. He, you know, touched me inappropriately. He tried to kiss me when I didn't want to. He showed up backstage and was ogling people at the beauty pageant, all those different types of things. These are all women that came forward during the course of the campaign. They raised their concerns. It was aired, it was vetted, and people either didn't believe them or didn't care and chose Donald Trump over Hillary Clinton. All right, so now there's a documentary that came out a couple weeks ago. These women are, again, repeating what are essentially the same allegations. We're not plowing new ground. And you have a number of people who don't like the president saying, well, this is the basis for a congressional investigation. My point has been there's nothing for Congress to investigate. This is not new behavior. This is not behavior that is, he alleged to have engaged in, in uh, since he was president. This is just boorish behavior and my tendency quite frankly is to believe the women this is boorish behavior that he engaged in okay over the the course of the years but it's not an impeachable offense and it's something that is old news to the extent that it was out there before the election and the voters didn't care about so anyhow because now we're in the environment of me too you have people seizing on this saying oh donald trump should resign well okay if people thought this was a big deal and by the way again i tend to believe the the women still people voted for president trump i mean those those votes i think matter so anyhow one of the people calling for him to resign is this woman named uh her, she's a U.S. Senator from New York, Kirsten Gillibrand. She, by the way, is one of the people that's being talked about as potentially being a Democratic candidate for president in 2020. So um, after this stuff goes out, you know, after these women come forward, I mean, she, again, she joins a group of people calling for an investigation or calling for him to step down. He sends out a tweet. Here is what the tweet says. Lightweight Senator Kirsten Gillibrand, a total flunky for Chuck Schumer, and someone who would come to my office, quote, begging, end quote, for campaign contributions not so long ago, and who would do anything for them, is now in the ring fighting against Trump, very disloyal to Bill and crooked, used, exclamation point, whatever that means. All right. So he sends this out. Now, I have argued again that I, I don't. I wish the president wouldn't feel this need to what I describe as punch down. You're going to have your critics. Let them go because I, I think this ends up being a distraction. But the minute pr- the president sends this out, you have a number of Democrats and women who rally around and they say, "Oh, th- this is ter- this is sexist. This is demeaning. It is a sexist smear." He is. Wink, wink, nod, nod. Using a double entendre, he's talking about sexual stuff. Hmm. 
lightweight Senator Kirsten Gillibrand, a total flunky for Chuck Schumer and someone who would come to my office begging for campaign contributions not so long ago and would do anything for them, is now in the ring fighting against Trump. 414-799-1620. Look, I, I understand that President Trump gets out of line with tweets sometime, but I think this sexual innuendo, this sexual smear stuff, I think that is being grossly overplayed. And I will tell you, this does not come from somebody who defends President Trump up and down the line. I think this is reading something into this tweet that is not there. On many, many occasions over the course of my life, I have probably used the phrase, you know, so-and-so, you know, came to me asking for this, and I think he'd do anything to get that. That doesn't mean that I am implying that so-and-so um, is going to engage in sex with me. It, it just, it doesn't. And I've never interpreted it as that. Now, I understand that people want to read into these things what they want to read into, but that's just simply not how I interpret it. I interpreted she'd come to my office begging for campaign contributions not so long ago and would do anything for them, meaning she'd promise him anything. And I guess I was thinking it means, you know, you need that development here. You know, you need this cleared. You need that clear. What do you need for what do you need me to do for you in order to get you to give me money? I think trying to portray this as sexist is overplaying their hand. How do you interpret it? 414-799-1620. We discuss next. It's 1228. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1236, WTMJ. Jeff Wagner, glad to have you with us. Okay, so I have a text here. So why did he bring this up? You know, why did he send that tweet? Why did he even talk about um, this New York Senator, Kirsten Gillibrand, coming to his office and, you know, begging for campaign donations? Why did he bring this up? I'll tell you why he brought it up. It's because he considers a lot of these politicians who now are opposing him at every step of the way and talking about what an awful person he is. He... The president considers these people to be hypocrites because these were the same people who, when he was a multimillionaire developer in New York, were coming to his office asking him to give him a whole bunch of money and probably telling him how great he was and, oh, this is tremendous and it's absolutely outstanding. And here, make a $10,000 donation and host a fundraiser for me. And now they're talking about how awful he is. He considers them to be hypocrites. That's why I think he brings this type of stuff up. Now, as I've said, I I, I wish he would stay off the, the I, I think he would be better off if you wouldn't engage in this fashion um, because I think it demeans him and I think it demeans the office of the presidency. Having said all that, though, this idea that this is a sexist smear, sorry, I just don't buy it. Uh, Jerry, downtown. Jerry, you're on WTMJ. Hi, uh, Jeff. Well, a couple of problems with this. You put begging in quotation marks. Yeah. Now, either Donald Trump doesn't understand what quotation marks do, which I would concede is very well impossible. Why would he put begging in quotation marks? I mean, it doesn't make any sense. Is he trying to imply something? You know, because I, I want to remind you, he talked about Megyn Kelly in the, in the election and talking about her bleeding, basically yeah. menstruating, you know. Yeah. Megyn Kelly making a reference there. So well, no, well, well, tell me, but what, what is the significance of putting the word begging in quotation marks? I, you see that as sexual? I see that as weird. I understand that. I understand he might be a person who just doesn't understand quotation marks. I can, I can see that. But if, if it's not, then why would he put it in there? I, I just it doesn't make any sense to me. Well, I guess I, I guess I, I guess I, I mean, I, I don't know. Begging, 
And so he says, would come to, thanks for the call, come to my office, quote unquote, begging for campaign contributions. Um, instead of soliciting, asking, I, I, I don't know why he would use begging. I guess I just, I, I don't know that using the word begging makes it any more sexual or any less sexual. I guess I'm just, again, I, right, right before the break, I, I go back to this. And if, if, if I, if I go into my boss, you know, a couple months ago and say, gee, I really, I, I really, the, this 830 noon thing isn't working out for me. It's really very hard on my life. I, I want to go back to noon to three. Can we make this happen? If I had said something like that, um, and my boss had then said to somebody, gee, you know, Jeff, Jeff will do anything to make this happen. Does that mean I was soliciting him? I, I certainly don't think so. That's certainly, if, if anybody interpreted that conversation that way, trust me, that's not what my, what I meant. Um, here's another text. First the race card, now the sexual assault card. What card do middle-aged white men get to play? Well, I, uh, I don't know. Okay, Jeff, it was a sexist statement, and that is exactly what was implied, and Trump knows that, and you should not make excuses for his aberrant behavior. I'm not making any excuses for anything the president does. I'm just saying that I don't think that that is necessarily a fair interpretation of that particular tweet. Um, let's see. The constant everyday bash in a Trump, it bash a Trump is so old. This is now how it's going to be now on for elected officials. People are just going to tune it out. Again, there's all sorts of things you could criticize President Trump for. And uh, if you, you want to look at the fact that, hey, this, this guy is a boorish pig, look at all these women who've come forward and made these sort of allegations. Okay, that that's fine. I get it. it. It's just at some point in time, I think people tend to overplay their hand. And at least in my opinion, in this particular situation, I think the the folks who don't like President Trump are overplaying their hand by talking about this as being a sexist smear. Should you argue, hey, it's beneath the president of the United States to respond and to engage in this? I think I the, the reason I the way I read this is you've got President Trump who's sitting here saying, okay, this woman is saying all these terrible things about me, um, uh, but at the same time when she was running for office, she's in there, you know, she's asking me for campaign contributions and pretty much um promising me anything that i that i want and i guess i just i just i always thought that was i interpret that as being hey this is going to be you know she she loves the show she loves celebrity apprentice donald that you're you're so great here you know you want seats at the kennedy center you want that new building development approved here i can make that work I, i didn't i just didn't interpret it maybe maybe my mind just doesn't work that way maybe i am just too naive and too innocent. Let's talk to Lori in New Berlin. Lori, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Yes, hello. Okay, when I saw that on the news and they showed the printed word, you know, the words of his tweet, he had that and she would do anything in parentheses. Mm-hmm. And I, to me, that just distinguished it as something, if, he, if it was a spoken word, he would have put emphasis on that, I, I think knowing Donald Trump the way he talks. Well, do you I, think I, it's, okay, when, when you see that phrase, do you think it, it has a sexual meaning because it's Donald Trump? Or if any, I mean, if I were to, if I were to say, Lori, my producer came to me asking for Tuesday off and he'd do anything to have it, would you interpret that as being he's offering sexual favors to me? No, but it's, it's the way you say it. You didn't really put emphasis on that. On, and he would do anything for it. And if it was if it was 
it's not you're not Donald Trump. No, okay. You know, so it's so Donald you see Trump for sure. Right. Okay. No, fair enough. I think I mean and and that's I and, and that's I'm not Donald Trump. No, that no, but that, that's that's a fair enough. I mean, that that's a fair thing. And I think I think I understand that, that there are some people who are assuming that this is Donald Trump and this is the guy and this is the stuff he said to Megyn Kelly and these are those things. So he says this and it automatically has to be, you know, an an item of sexual innuendo. I guess I don't I'm not willing to go that far because this is again, this is on the printed page. But I mean, let's let's review this. Um, All right. My producer grew came to my office begging to have Thursday off and would do anything to get that day off. And in my wildest dreams, I would never anticipate that he was trying to suggest he was going to perform, we were going to engage in sexual liaison. And if Gru was, I've had female producers over the years, you know, and if one of them came in and was asking for Thursday off, I and I, and I said that, it would be just to emphasize that they really wanted Thursday off and they were be willing to... I, I don't know, do whatever they could to get. It's a figure of speech, I, I guess. Um, I, I don't interpret that in and of itself. But maybe, again, you read this because it's Donald Trump and you have this image of Donald Trump, which um, he certainly has done nothing to diminish. Let's talk to Joe in Waukesha. Joe, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Oh, uh, Jeff, it's a character issue. You kind of made my point while I was on hold, but you saying that to your boss, is coming from somebody that is respected by both your boss and other people, mm-hmm. so they're not going to take it that way. I would hope not. <laughs> I would hope not. <laughs> Trust me, because that's not how I would mean it. I guarantee you. Exactly. But past behavior that we've all seen in either his tweets or uh, on bus tapes or whatever shows what his mindset is, and that that is why when it comes across that she would do anything for this money, how else are we supposed to take it? Mm-hmm. It, it, it's it's a complete character issue, and I and uh, I think you know that. I think uh, if you look at it uh, from the outside in, you'll see why people are having the problem with it that they are. Well, thank, thanks. For, I mean, I, I mean, I have a text that kind of hits it, and the person writes, "It's called confirmation bias." His opponents believe Trump is sexist, and when he tweets anything that could be interpreted as sexist, his opponents will be all over it. And and I think that's. I actually do think that that's what's kind of playing out here, that if if you want to see him as this sexist, woman-harassing pig, then you look at a tweet that I think on its face is innocuous. I don't think on its face that this has the kind of sexual connotations that, that people say. Now, I, I have um, you know, somebody who just texted saying, well, no, you, you, he used the word begging, and someone who begs is often on their knees when, knees when doing so, and a woman performing a certain sexual act, PG-13 warning, is often on her knees too. Do you get Trump's tweet now? Well, I, I, again, I, I think you're reading way too much into that. So now anytime I say, gee, somebody came to me and begged ex-candidate called me up and begged to get on the show that means that that candidate female candidate was offering to perform certain sex acts again i i think we're reading way too much into this i appreciate that if you think donald trump is a certain type of person it's easy to do that but there's bigger issues i mean if you want to go after the the underlying conduct do it. I guess to me, this is a situation of losing again the forest 
for, in this case, a particular tree. Big story number three is coming up. It's 1246. This is Jeff Wagner. 1248, Jeff Wagner, 620, WTMJ Grew, who's producing the program. This is my favorite tweet of the day, actually. Um, the, 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 the point is, the point is, Jeff, Trump is a pig. You are not a pig. <laughs> so if you said that, we wouldn't interpret it that way, but when, and, and that's good. So I got that going for me. I am not a pig. Oh, I'd, I'd like to think not. <laughs> you know, I'd like to think not. Hey, um, in the next hour of the program, um, one of the stories we're going to be talking about is all this controversy involving a, a piece of jewelry being sold up until yesterday by American Eagle. If you want to see the story and a picture of the jewelry in question, um, you can simply text the word shackles, S-H-A-C-K-L-E-S, to 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, and we'll send you the link so you can see it. I will describe it for you, so you don't have to participate. You don't have to do that to participate in the program, but sometimes I think people like to see what it is that we're talking about. We will be discussing that in the 1 o'clock hour. In addition, in about 11 minutes, the Federal Reserve is scheduled uh, to announce that they are raising interest rates, and in a break. Breaking news moment. Uh, we're going to be talking right after the one o'clock news. I'm going to be joined by mortgage miracle worker uh, Brian Wickert from Acunet Mortgage, um, and he's going to talk a little bit about what this means moving forward. So we'll be doing that in the one o'clock hour as well. Right now, big story number three. And I, again, I was watching the Talking Head shows today because I, I was I, I wanted to see what people were saying about the Roy Moore loss. I wanted to see what people were saying about these women had come forward and were complaining about President Trump. And and then, of course, the, the story that was breaking this morning were the, these emails that had now surfaced that were being sent by. Well, let me back up. You had an FBI agent. His name is Peter Strzok, who was a counterintelligence agent with the FBI who was running the investigation into Hillary Clinton's use of a private email server. All right. Unknown to anybody, he was having an extramarital affair with a lawyer for the the FBI, um, Lisa Page. And so, as couples do, they were exchanging emails uh, about a variety of things, but included were their overall comments. This is all playing out as the Republican primary race and later the general election campaign is starting to develop. And needless to say, they they were both big Hillary Clinton supporters. They didn't like Donald Trump. And I, I mean, maybe you've seen these emails. I'm, um, he's an idiot. Uh, let's see. They, they didn't like Trump. They were talking about him being loathsome, loathsome. Um, he's a loathsome human. Um, he may win. He'd be a worse president than Ted Cruz, etc., etc. America will get what the voting public deserves. That's what I'm afraid of. God, Hillary should win by a hundred million. She should win a hundred million to zero. The guy said as part of um, his text string last March. Now, of course, this is the same time that he's supposed to be investigating the Hillary Clinton emails. What happened is Special Prosecutor Bob Mueller found out about this and ended up firing him from the probe. Interestingly, I believe he still works for the FBI. They, they, they moved him to some 
desks. That's what they do in the FBI. Once you screw up, they move you to some like personnel desk somewhere where you never see the light of day and you move papers from one side of the desk to the other. But it is amazing to me that this guy still has the job. So now the allegations are that Mueller is tainted. The investigation has been hampered by this. You had a biased agent. Well, clearly you had a, a biased agent. Mueller has made this situation a lot worse for himself because for the last several months, Mueller has been fighting tooth and nail to keep these emails that he was aware of, keep them from going public. Now, what Mueller should have done early on when he realized he had this problem was not only to get rid of the FBI agent who clearly has the bias, but also he should have been forthcoming. He should have been transparent. He should have come forward and said, okay, this is why. This was a huge problem. I mean, we had this FBI guy who was, and if he's saying these things to his paramour, you know, on, on government email accounts, God knows what he's saying to other people or, you know, and so, I mean, clearly it, it's it's a black eye for the Bureau, and I think Mueller should have come forward up front and made these various emails public. Instead, he's been fighting this and fighting this for months, and, and now it comes out, and, and arguably it makes him look bad. I, I guess, how do I interpret this? And for people who think I was being too soft on, on Donald Trump in the last segment, you'll perhaps now think I'm being too soft on, on Mueller. I don't necessarily think that this means he should be fired or he should be disqualified. The way I read this is he inherits this investigation. He finds out early on that he's got a bad apple. He's got a guy who is clearly expressing his bias and not using the very best of judgment. And he, he gets the guy out of, off the case. Now, so to me, that's kind of what the special prosecutor should do. That's what any boss should do, taking over, finding out that you've got this bad apple um, in the investigation. So, I mean, do I think that this is disqualifying of him? No. Um, I do think it is fair to ask how somebody like this could get on an investigation like he was on and how you could be doing these things without his bosses at the FBI knowing about it. So do I think this necessarily is a, some sort of smoking gun which suggests that, oh, Hillary Clinton should have been charged? No. I, I mean, that this stuff has all been made public now. It is a black eye for the FBI that you had somebody like this working in this capacity. But to me, again, Mueller takes over. You find out what the problem is, and then you dump the guy. Mueller just should have been more upfront as to why it was he was specifically dumped. Then he wouldn't have this issue. There's maybe all sorts of reasons to argue why the special prosecutor should, should have – why that should be terminated. There's all sorts of reasons that you can make. I don't think this is necessarily one. But, again, it's one of these kind of head-scratching things. You go back to this FBI agent. You're thinking, my God, what were you thinking? Okay, I mean, it's, I, I get it. You're having the affair. All right, that kind of stuff happens. All right, fine. But why would you think that it was appropriate to say these type of things, put this type of stuff in writing, and send it to your, your paramour? Um Again, about an investigation that you were actively involved in. That is what we used to call felony dumb. When we come back, well, lots of stuff. Don't go anywhere. It's 256. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. And once again, if you want to see this um, story that we're going to be talking about, the word is shackles. S-H-A-C-K-L-E-S. You can text that word to 414-799-1620. 1256. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 
It's 109. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, our breaking news as we speak, the Federal Reserve is in the process of releasing a monetary policy statement and a set of economic forecasts. Most investors expect the Fed to respond to the strength of the economy by announcing at least some increase in its benchmark interest rate. Um, This, I think, also factors in uh, when we look at economic policy moving forward. This is going to factor in um, the tax cuts that appear to be a reality or soon will be a reality. Right now, the Dow Jones Industrial up 121 points, the NASDAQ up as NASDAQ up 22 points. But for me, it, it's just all uh, it's all guesswork. So I thought we turn to the experts. He is you hear him on Sundays on WTMJ. He is what I describe as the mortgage miracle worker. Brian Wickard from Accident Mortgage. Brian, hello. Hello, Jeff. Thanks for having me on. Sure. Okay. Well, tell me what's going on right now and what this means for the average guy. All right. For the average guy, uh, this interest rate hike by the Federal Reserve, which is going to move the prime rate from 4.25% up to 4.5%, it's going to hit those people who are carrying balances on their credit cards because those interest rates are tied to the prime rate, and also anyone with a balance on their home equity line of credit, because those are also tied to the prime rate. And just to put that in perspective, Jeff, if you had a $50,000 balance on your home equity line of credit and you had that on there two years ago, uh, the rate would have been 3.25%. That's where the prime rate was for eight years. And it stayed so steady for so long, I think people thought it could never move. So over the course of the last two years, the Federal Reserve has seen fit to raise that short-term interest rate by one and a quarter percent. So that's why we're going from three and a quarter now up to four and a half. And that means a guy with $50,000 on the home equity line will now pay 625 bucks more per year in interest than he did two years ago. Why is the Fed doing this now? It's normalization. The Fed uh, had taken so many steps, Jeff. Remember in the financial crisis back in 2008 when we were really at the brink of the entire global economy coming to a screeching halt, what the Federal Reserve did and what other central banks around the world did is they cut rates literally down to zero in terms of the rate banks charge each other overnight. And they did that to try to stimulate the economy. So we were in big trouble. It's like a huge shot of adrenaline. Uh, Then on top of that, they decided, hmm, we want to push down long-term rates, and so the Federal Reserve literally printed money, actually in electrons, not in paper, and they set out and bought $3 trillion worth of mortgage-backed securities, so 30-year fixed-rate loans that Acunet and other lenders were uh, putting together for homeowners. They bundled those together, sell them on Wall Street, but instead of the State Teachers Pension Fund of Oslo, Norway, buying those, the Federal Reserve stepped in and said, we have got a huge appetite for those. And so they bought trillions of dollars of that and 10-year Treasury notes driving long-term interest rates down. That all was done to keep us from going over the brink into financial disaster. So now that the economy is back on track, and in fact, this year, it looks like our economy is now going to be expanding at about a 3% annualized pace for the last six months of the year. The Federal Reserve doesn't need to be that accommodative. So we're really just on the way to returning to normal. We had gotten used to those super low rates for so long that it became the new normal, but that's really not normal. Now we're just going back to normal. 
Now, Brian, we talked about what this means and how much out-of-pocket, for example, somebody that's carrying a home equity loan um, will pay. What about the flip side? For fixed-income investors, people who have money tied up in bonds or things like that, is this good news for them? Sure. The uh, short-term treasury, so if you're out there you know, investing in one- and five-year and two-year treasury notes, those rates have gone up. Because remember, that's the short end of the interest rate spectrum. Kind of a weird thing, which is good for home buyers and homeowners and companies like Acunet, is the longer end of the curve, meaning 10-year treasuries and things like 30-year fixed-rate mortgages, rates have stayed unbelievably tame in that regard. For example, right now, Acunet can still offer 3.99 on a 30-year fixed-rate loan, $200,000 of 25% equity and all the other right stuff with no points and literally 790 bucks a cost. That's unbelievably low in the big picture of things, and that hasn't really moved most of this fall. And the reason that the long-term end has not moved is inflation is really tame. In other words, prices of goods and services are not going up. And that is what has the Fed kind of just moving very cautiously in quarter point moves. Um, as They really want inflation, Jeff, to get back to 2%. It's been underneath that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, you know, as I look at the jobs reports where we're at 4.1% unemployment, and we've got 200 to 230,000 new jobs being created every month. And I talk to my friends who are own manufacturing companies. They can't find workers. Right. Eventually, that cost of labor has got to go up, in my opinion. And then that cost of labor has got to get reflected in the cost of other goods and services. So I think eventually inflation will come back, and that will force the long-term end of the rate spectrum back up, like 30-year fixed rates. But for now, we are living in a... 30-year fixed-rate wonderland, where we can still offer rates to start with the number three. We're talking to Brian Wickard from Acunet Mortgage about the, the Fed's announcement today that interest rates are going to be increased. Um, Brian, I, I'm looking at the stock market right now, and again, I, I understand this has just kind of come out, and there's going to be a press conference a little bit later on, but uh, Dow up 111 points, NASDAQ up 20-some points. Um, it, it seems like have, have this has this rate increase kind of been baked into what investors think is going to happen? So this is kind of like no big deal, at least as far as the market. You hit the nail on the head. The uh, the futures market, so you can gamble on just about anything, and legally you can gamble on you know what is the Federal Reserve going to do? And so going into the meeting, it was ninety percent chance of a quarter point rate hike, which is what happened. And then there was a 10% chance, the Fed futures market was saying, of a half a point rate hike. Well, that didn't happen. And there was 0% chance of rates staying the same, again, according to the betting parlor known as the Fed Funds futures market. So it was widely anticipated, meaning it's already baked into today's rates. The wild cards are what they call the Fed dot plot, meaning each one of the Federal Reserve Open Market Committee uh, members predicts where they think rates are going in 2018 and 2019. That has just gotten released, and then also the news conference that Janet Yellen is going to have, her final one, before she uh, hangs it up. And and the prediction of the people on the Federal Open Market Committee is that the Fed will raise rates three more times in 2018, three more quarter-point hikes. So they, they aren't saying when. They, they always say that they're data-dependent. 
and we'll watch inflation, we'll watch how the economy is doing. But if things continue as they have been, which is good growth and, and low unemployment rate, they think they're going to keep doing three more rate hikes. That'll put the prime rate over five. It's been a long time since we've seen the prime rate over five. It'll end up at five and a quarter if they follow through. And just think about that. I just said here on your air that I can do a 30-year fixed rate loan at 3.99. Or, you know, if you've got a home equity line, which is a variable rate, you know, mortgage tied to prime, you're already at four and a half. Mm-hmm. That's weird. That's right. upside down. And that, that home equity line is on its way to five or five and a quarter by the end of 2018. Uh, what I'm hearing you, and, and correct me if I'm misinterpreting this, it sounds like this is, if people are considering buying a, a home, this is still a, an ideal time to try to do something like that because the rates have nowhere to go but up. That is that is a really good uh, reading of the tea leaves. Okay. Uh, there, I can't see anything on the horizon save some catastrophic event with North Korea. You know, that could make rates drop. Uh, if we get into any kind of a shooting war. Mm-hmm. Uh, but absent that, the economy seems to be humming along. And I think, by the way, you talked to Dave Spano at Annex about this, but I think the reason the Dow is up isn't necessarily the rate increase. It's the fact that the Congress is closer to that um, income tax package. I think right. that's what's got the stock market more jubilant. Uh, again, kind of a ancient rule of thumb is that if the stock market does better, what people tend to do is sell their bond-like investments, 10-year treasuries and mortgages, take the money out of bonds and put them into stocks. Well, that ain't happening either because uh, right now uh, the 10-year treasury market, uh, the, the interest rate is actually a little lower than it was uh, at the beginning of the day. So we are, we're living in uh, you know good times if you're a mortgage guy or a home buyer. The, the flip side of that, Brian, again, if we could circle back to what we were talking about at the very beginning, for people who are are carrying, uh, for example, a home mortgage debt on a home equity loan or have balances on their credit cards, the amount that, in interest that they're going to have to pay is in all likelihood going to go up. So for those people, this might be a good time to, to try to reduce that to the extent possible. Pay off that credit card if you can. Yep. And we have a lot of uh, our customers right now this time of year, you know, the home purchase market quiets down a lot, but it's an ideal time to at least take a look at, and there's no cost, whether you talk to us or really any mortgage lender out there, let us run the numbers for you. And we have a lot of people that are putting their, you know, $50,000 variable rate home equity line together with their existing first mortgage balance. And in a lot of cases, uh, taking out a shorter loan term, maybe a 20-year, maybe a 15-year fixed, and paying the whole kit and caboodle off faster while you can still get a rate that generally starts with the number three. That can be a very savvy financial move. It's free to look. You know, why not? We can, you know, we can do it right over the phone for people. Um, and it's an opportunity that doesn't seem like it's going to last forever. Right. Got it. Brian Wickard, Acunet Mortgage, thanks for making sense. Because whenever we hear these things, my question is always, what does this mean for the average guy or gal who's trying to yeah. figure out, I've I got these monthly credit card bills, I've got the mortgage payment, I'm thinking about buying a house. Thank you for trying to simplify this. I appreciate you it. You are entirely welcome. We, we, we love to do that every day. Thanks and, for having yeah, me on, Jeff. Absolutely. That's Brian Wickard. I call him the miracle mortgage worker, miracle mortgage man because of um, – 
work that he has done for me in the past. So I appreciate him joining me. When we come back, if you want to see what we're going to be discussing, simply text me the word shackles, S-H-A-C-K-L-E-S, to 414-799-1620. Some people are very, very upset. Frankly, I don't get it. Stick around. 121, Jeff Wagner. It's 124, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. You can now listen to WTMJ on your Amazon device for news and weather updates, the latest out of Lambeau, your favorite show's podcast. Although, they were demonstrating it for me today, how this worked. I didn't hear my podcast. I didn't hear John McCure's podcast. Um, I think Dan Dan, the IT man, is going to be on top of that. But we were working on that and so much more. It is now available with the simple phrase, Alexa, open WTMJ. For more info and easy setup instructions, text the word Alexa, A-L-E-X-A, to 414-799-1620, or you can simply go online to WTMJ.com. All right. I've been telling you about this since the program started. American Eagle, which is um, like an outfitter, like a a clothing, they sell clothing, they sell jewelry, those type of things. Um, They, well, here's the story. Um, They have been selling an item. um, It's a men's bracelet. It is described on its website as a silver AEO metal cuff. Um, What happens is somebody sees this. And somebody sees it and says, gee, that that cuff, that bracelet, looks a lot like a, a shackle. You know what a shackle is? Something that they put around that they put around prisoners. Okay, so when people are put in prison, and, and let me just start off with this. When you are put in prison, you know, they, they put the, the cuffs on you, okay? And those are called shackles. And at least last time I checked, they don't use a separate type of shackle depending on what your race is. This becomes important in just a second because white people who are sent to prison and get put in handcuffs, you know, they they have the same type of shackles that black people have and black and white people have the same type of shackles that Hispanic people have. There's not a separate type of of handcuff that you use depending on the race of someone. Anyhow, so somebody sees this bracelet on the website and they look at it and they say, huh, this bracelet looks like a a shackle now the bracelet is again it i kind of understand where that's coming from it's it's a a round you know it is a oval metal piece and it's held together by what looks like kind of a of a clamp that you would put through it so i mean i guess if you look at it you want to see shackles you can find that this would be a shackle. A lot of other people, I don't think, necessarily see it that way, but but I guess you could understand. So anyhow, somebody complains, saying, oh, this kind of looks like shackles, you know, the type that they used during slavery days. Hmm. Well, okay, they've been using shackles for hundreds and hundreds of years, and slaves weren't the only people put in, in shackles. But Regardless, so somebody complains about this, saying, hey, selling this bracelet makes light of slavery and mass incarceration. American Eagle, in response to this complaint, says, oh, no, oh, no, no, oh, my gosh, we we don't want somebody to be offended, so we are going to pull this from our stores and from our website. Okay, 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, 
Let me say this. American Eagle is a private company, has the right to sell whatever it wants. Okay, so they have a right to do it. And I guess I, as a customer, have a right to buy anything I want. And candidly, that bracelet doesn't do a lot for me, and I don't expect that I would be buying that for anybody for Christmas, and I certainly wouldn't be wearing it myself. But for the love of goodness, have we gotten so sensitive in this country that, oh, my goodness, it's a bracelet. Somebody says that this could resemble a shackle, and you know that they shackled slaves during slavery, so this means that American Eagle is mocking slavery. How do we get that far? 414-799-1620. All right, did American Eagle overreact? And again, they have the right to do whatever they want. And in today's day of political correctness and everybody being overly sensitized, I understand American Eagle doesn't want to have protesters saying, you you are mocking slavery. So I get that they feel that they have to react to these things. But objectively, objectively, is this really something that – I don't know, mocks or makes light of slavery. 414-799-1620. I think this is a huge overreaction by American Eagle. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 129. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 136. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, Chris Tex. I saw the bracelet, and this is ridiculous. You can look at anything subjectively and come up with a PC issue with any normal item people use each day. People see what they want. It's getting to the point where any individuality will be removed from our society. Like, like I say, if, you, if you're just tuning in, American Eagle has this thing called a shackle bracelet, which is very, very common. You find these all over Amazon, and, and what they are is kind of, to me, they look like sort of like horseshoes, and then they're held together by a, a metal pin that you kind of screw in, so that they look like the shackles that you would put a prisoner in. Okay, now why would you wear that? Good question. But apparently this is described by many as being hip and trendy, and it's kind of like a punk rock sort of thing, so people like it. So somebody sees one of these on American Eagle, gets all bent out of shape, says, well, this is, you are being insensitive to slavery and to mass incarceration. And American Eagle says, oh, we're sorry, we're going to take it off our website. Well, American Eagle can sell whatever they want. But, I mean, is this really, if somebody is wearing this, is this really insensitive to slavery for? One four seven nine nine one six twenty. Dave and Racine. Dave, good afternoon. Good afternoon. It's deja vu all over again. Because uh, during a recent cleanup, I found uh, an old article. It was from the Chicago Sun Times, where uh, the Afrocentric writer Michelle uh, Machard, I think her name was, she complaining about a store selling these. They looked like a copper manacle with a you know, little chain and then a tag on it, and it was. A, and it was like you know a crime against humanity and all that is holy. <laughs> right, and, and it, it's just it's a it's a it's a piece of jewelry. Now I wouldn't wear it. My guess is you wouldn't wear it, Dave. No. But you don't look at this and immediately say, "Oh, this is racist," or "or this shows a lack of tolerance to slavery." I, we, we're just getting so politically correct. Or, it's just remember amazing. in Road to Zanzibar with a uh, Hope and Crosby. Where they have uh, at the slave auction, they says talk about slave bracelets, and you know, uh, you know, and then you know they had the woman manacle, you know, but you know at the sl- <laughs> but remember if you recall that from the movie. Uh, well, no, sure, and it, I mean thanks for calling. No, and, and they were doing it, and it, look, you're. <laughs> Nobody nobody is making fun of slavery here, but for goodness sakes, let's see, Dan texts, I would bet money that whoever complained was a millennial. In the immortal words of Sergeant Hulka, that would be from the movie Stripes, lighten up, Francis. <laughs> there is something to be said about that. Uh, Doc says, the perpetually offended are again in overdrive. Um, you know, Steve in West Bend says, uh, again, all these different examples here. Right, this is... 
you know, steampunk. This is sort of, it, and Pete makes this point, it's reminiscent to me of what they call like the, the steampunk jewelry that's out there. I, it, it's not my thing, okay? Nobody on my Christmas list is going to be getting one of these. But at the same time, you know, this is what we get ourselves all exercised about. Jeff writes, I don't know if I necessarily fault American Eagle for trying to avoid a racial controversy, even if it is ridiculous. But I do think the people who complained have way too much free time and should consider arts and crafts instead. Maybe they could make politically correct bracelets. Yeah, that would be interesting. Now, what this does remind me of is, Gru, this is before your time. This is back when um, we actually, they actually, Grand Avenue Mall actually had stores where people went to and would buy things. And during, this, this is, now I am dating myself, believe me, I know I'm dating myself, but back in the heyday of Grand Avenue, what they would do is they would have, they, they'd have, like they do at some of these other malls, they would have kiosks where people, you know, for the season or whatever, they, they'd rent, it wouldn't be a storefront, but they would be like space, and they would rent and they would sell things. And a number of years ago, one of the things that they were selling were orange jumpsuits that were reminiscent of the jumpsuits that you wear if you are a prisoner at the Milwaukee County Jail. And these things were flying off the shelf. And and a lot of the usual suspects became just, oh, this that became outrage. This actually, for at least a little bit of time, became kind of a, I don't know, a fashion statement in certain parts of the community. Now, I I want to be the first to say, I don't get why somebody would go and buy a jumpsuit that looks like something that an inmate in a jail facility would wear. I don't understand that. But at the same time, there's a lot of stuff like the jitterbug that simply evades me. I don't get it. I don't know why people would do these things. But all these people got really upset. Oh, this is terrible. They're mocking prisoners. They're mocking slaves. Look, I mean, people just making a fashion statement. Don't exactly know what that statement is. Might have been a dumb statement or whatever. But but really, I mean, you want to talk about overthinking stuff. I mean, if a bunch of like UWM students decide that they want to go buy orange jumpsuits, they should be able to buy orange jumpsuits. I don't think it is making any sort of statement about mass incarceration. And if somebody wants to buy some punk, steampunk, whatever jewelry that looks like a shackle, if they think that's going to be cool with the rest of their ensemble, I think they should be able to do it. And I don't think American Eagle should be afraid of this and this connection that, well, slaves were in shackles, you know, so that means this is being, this is racist. Well, okay, before there were slaves from Africa, you know, the, you know, the Romans put Christians in shackles, for example. I mean, I, to, to try to see racism in this or to even try to see, again, bad taste from a political perspective, I, I think is just an incredible overreach. How in the world did we seriously get this sensitive? Just asking. In less than three minutes, a professor at UW thinks that we are all dumb as a box of rocks. We will discuss. Stick around. It's 142. This is Jeff Wagner. 145. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. There is a professor at UW who thinks you grew, me and everybody else, is just dumb as a box of rocks. There's no other way to explain this. The left in Wisconsin continues to be apoplectic over the, the voter ID bill. That you know was passed and ultimately went through the courts and was upheld. You know the the law that says you have to prove who you are before you vote. And so the the, the mantra for the left has been, 
okay, this is going to this is suppressing voters. This is this is the way those evil Republicans have of winning because they want make to make people prove who they are. And there are certain people on the fringes of society who, who can't prove who they are. They're going to be voting Democratic so they don't get to vote. So here's what happens: uh, taxpayers in taxpayers in it was it Dane County that paid for this thing. Um, Right, taxpayers in Dane County, of course, pony up $55,000 uh, and hire this guy at UW named Ken Meyer, who has been an outspoken opponent of voter ID from the beginning. He's a political scientist. He does a study, I would call the study, we talked about this time, I would call it bogus. Actually, I'd call it another word, but bogus doesn't begin to describe how bad this is. That They want to prove, keep in mind, they start with this premise Voter ID bad. People were suppressed. So what they do is they they send out surveys to 2,400 people in Milwaukee and in, in Madison. So they, they go to, again, the, the heavily Democratic areas of the state. So they send out 2,400 surveys. In response to the 2,400 surveys, 293 are returned. So, okay, now the numbers I'm about to give you are based on 300, actually a little less than 300 people who send back surveys. So the 300 people, these are people who were registered to vote but didn't vote. They try to solicit 2,400, which would be an alarmingly small sample size to begin with, but they only get less than 300 back. So then they ask these people, why didn't you vote? And for most people, it was didn't feel like it, didn't think my vote would matter, didn't like the candidates, etc. But 7%... Of the 293 said that they didn't vote because of the ID law. Now, there's no follow-up asking them, what does this mean? Could you not get an ID? Something like that. And then they extrapolate that to say that that means that nearly 17,000 people were deterred from voting. This study isn't worth the paper it's printed on. This was a hatchet job from the beginning, and UW should be embarrassed that it's being put out by a professor who works at UW. Okay, let's put that aside. Well, this guy has been roundly ridiculed for this study. So he's back. He's testifying in front of the election commission yesterday. And again, his his point is, this is terrible. You know, we've got to review this. We've got to get rid of voter ID or do this or that or the other thing. It's not working. And so what he says yesterday is that these these people who didn't vote, and, of course, this is all based on this bogus study from the jump. It says Wisconsin voters don't have a good handle on what types of identification they can use to cast a, a ballot. That's one takeaway Professor Ken Meyer reached after releasing his survey in September about how the state's voter ID law affected turnout in the last presidential election. We found substantial evidence. Hmm. Now, this is only 293 people returning a survey, mind you. We found substantial evidence that most voters don't have good information, accurate information about the voter ID requirement. Huh. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. When will these people give this up? So now it's, okay, the voter ID law is really kind of simple. At the end of the day, it's pretty simple. You need a valid form of photo identification in order to to vote. Pretty simple. And I think people, most people know that you need that. 
But so now we're saying, well, I don't think people can figure this out. Um, there, one of our takeaways is that people don't have a good handle on what types of identification they can use to cast the ballot. There has been a huge voter education campaign. Voter ID has been out there for years. And essentially, we're being told that despite all this, people are too uninformed and too and or too dumb to know that you need certain categories of ID. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I don't think this is a clarity issue at all. And I don't think that this is voter suppression at all. This isn't too hard. You know, we say to people all the time, in order to do this, that, or the other thing, you need a valid photo ID. And in general, I think almost everybody is able to figure that out. So when it comes to voting, are these some sort of special magical IDs? Do we just get stupid when it comes to IDs, not being able to figure that out? Or is this just, again, trying somebody trying to look for excuses trying to justify what I think is a, a bogus thing. Now I Look, I understand that there might be a handful of unicorns out there, people who genuinely wanted to vote, who made an effort to get an appropriate ID but were unable to do so. Was that 17,000? Absolutely not. There may be a handful of people that were out there. At most, a handful. And see, this is, to me, independent of the argument about whether should we have voter ID, does that stop voter fraud? That, that's a whole different question. The idea, though, that's being presented that, gee, by requiring voter ID, you know, we are disenfranchising thousands of Wisconsin residents. I think that is ridiculous. On top of that now, well, it's just too complicated. People can't figure it out. People don't know what type of ID is there. Really? I mean, do we say that about any other form of ID? Do we say you need a valid photo ID to you know, cash a check at a bank? Well, uh, okay, well, no, it, it's too hard for people to figure that out. No, we don't say that. 414-799-1620. All right, are we particularly dumb in Wisconsin, or is the voter ID law so confusing that thousands and thousands and thousands of people just can't figure it out? We're back to discuss. It's 152. This is Jeff Wagner. 155, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So you've got this lefty professor out of UW who doesn't like voter ID. He's paid $55,000 by Dane County taxpayers. He comes out with his bogus study. It gets roundly mocked. So now he's still saying, well, I, I, here's the problem. This voter ID law, it's too confusing. People can't understand it. They can't figure it out. Really? I mean, we have IDs for everything. People, it seems to me, can figure this stuff out just fine. And, you know, a texter makes an interesting point. You would have taken that fifty-five grand and said, okay, let's try to find the unicorns, the X number of people in Dane County who really have made that legitimate effort to try to get a photo ID and couldn't. Let's spend it on trying to identify them and get them photo IDs. My guess is you could have done it for a lot less than fifty-five grand. Michael in Sheboygan. Michael, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hello. I, thanks for taking my call. Sure. I turned 18 in 1965. And if you want, and we had a Wisconsin, uh, Wisconsin had an 18-year-old beer law. Right. You had to have a, a Wisconsin ID, and only a Wisconsin ID, because it had a picture on it. The driver's license did not have pictures on right. them at that time. I remember. Right. right. And the only way you could get into a teen bar was with that card. The driver's license would not work. 
and everybody got a card on their birthday right. or the day after. People my were able card, to figure it out. <laughs> Mike, you went down the register of deeds, you got a copy of your birth certificate, right. you had brought a picture from when you went in a little booth, and you got one of those a little... Right. I still carry. I thanks. I still carry mine. As a matter of fact, just to show people how I looked in the mid nineteen seventies, they kind of shake their heads. But I still have my ID. But yes, but you figure out a way to you figure out a way to do that. And this idea, well, it's too complicated. People can't figure this out. I just don't buy it. It's ridiculous. Herb in Bayside. Herb, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hello, Jeff. Hi, thanks Herb. for taking my call. Sure. Uh, this is a con game that he's got. He just wants to make money. And the other thing is, where does it say that you're a U.S. citizen on this thing? Well, it doesn't, I don't think. It just it doesn't. Right. So, I mean, you can only vote if you're a U.S. citizen. So we should have, an, a, for the voter ID, that you are a U.S. citizen, mm-hmm. not just give them your license. Right. Well, th- thanks for Herb. Call Herb. I mean, th- that's that's the thing. And like I say, this is... I, it's just one of many factors that, that goes into the whole voter fraud issue. And I don't even want to debate, you know, whether or not this is going to stop voter fraud. Okay, that, that, that ship has sailed. But this notion that this, it's too hard, that people can't figure out what it is that they need to vote. Well, okay, people figure out what they need to get the bus passes or to get on a train. People figure out what it is they need to cash a check or to get their library books or check them out. And as I've always said, I mean, if you do have a handful of people that are on the fringes of society and don't have a valid photo ID, let's get them a valid photo ID. But this idea that people are just too confused and aren't smart enough to figure it out, come on. Eric and Racine. Eric, you're on WTMJ. It's 209. This is Jeff Wagner. So glad to have you with us. Um, once again, we'll continue to keep you updated on what's going on on the roadways and all the uh, the, the snow doesn't look like the snow totals are going to be quite as bad as predicted. But um, some areas of the listening area, parts of the listening area, you know, have had some pretty consistent snow. And just be careful. Sometimes people just forget how to drive when it snows. All right. The guy might have a beef, but does he have a, a lawsuit? Now, we talked about this when it first happened. It is back in the news because the guy has now filed a lawsuit um, against Delta Airlines. Um, Here's the story. The the man who filed this lawsuit, 40-year-old guy, and, you know, this, this is the story. He had apparently flown to Atlanta several days. This goes back to last April flown to Atlanta several days earlier for his friend's 40th birthday. His return flight on April, his return flight on April 18th was scheduled to depart at 2:55 p.m. So he's flying from Atlanta to Milwaukee it's 2:55. Um, he's in an aisle seat. Um, he's he's waiting for, you know, they board and then they're waiting to leave. He says he's there for about 15 to 20 minutes when he gets up and tries to go to the bathroom. He hears an announcement that says, remain seated. He's got to go. When you got to go, you got to go. So he gets up and steps towards the rear lavatory. But a flight attendant blocks his pass and says he's got to go back to his seat because if he goes and uses the laboratory, the plane would lose its spot in the departure line. He sits back down. Well, he's still got to go. 
So about 10 minutes later, he says, I really got to go. He tells the attendant, I got to go. He gets up. He goes to the lavatory. When he comes back, the attendant says that he needs to speak to the pilot. He returns to his seat. The pilot announces that the plane is going to be returning to the gate because a passenger is going to need to be removed. By this time, it's 2.40 p.m. Once they get to the gate, Delta representative comes to his seat, um, and um, then they say, you're, you're going to be ejected by this. So he, he's tossed off for getting up and using the, the, using the bathroom under these particular circumstances. Okay, now we talked about this, you know, when it when it happened, and I, I think there were a number of people who had different opinions on this. I think most of us agreed that in these emergency types of situations, you know, when you got to go, you got to go. But at the same time, there is this interest in, you know, airlines, there's a reason why they have these different types of rules. And, you know, if, if everybody who has to go to the bathroom gets up and does it whenever they want, well, okay, planes aren't going to take off anywhere. So, I think you can argue that Delta mishandled this, and what are you going to do when somebody's faced with an emergency situation? Anyhow, the the man um, who who says he's being tossed, or who was in fact you know tossed off the plane, he's un- unhappy about this, and what he has now done is he has filed a lawsuit against Delta. Now, the forty-year-old guy is African American. And he is contending that the situation would never have unfolded the way it did if he were white. And he claims that Delta Airlines racially discriminated against him by doing this. Okay, Delta now says, well, well, like, wait a second. You know, we take any claim of discrimination seriously. Our flight crews are extensively trained to ensure safety and security of all customers. They say it is imperative that passengers follow FAA regulations to comply with crew instructions during all phases of flight, especially at critical points of takeoff and landing, which our findings indicate this customer did not do so. All right. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I understand what happened. Guys, I, I've been in this situation many, many times. You're in that line. It's Atlanta. Atlanta is one of the busiest airports in the country, if not the world. You're sitting there. It seems like you're waiting forever for the plane to take off. But the seatbelt sign is fastened. You're not supposed to get up. Guy's got to go to the bathroom. They say, no, I'm sorry, you're going to have to wait. Guy says, I can't wait. He ignores their instructions. He gets up. He goes to the bathroom. And then they end up throwing him off. Now, you may argue that Delta could have handled this better. Maybe. On the other hand, you might say, look, this is just, it's this guy who had the problem, you know, he should have gone before he got on the plane or, or whatever. But regardless of whether Delta was right or Delta was wrong, now the man is filing a lawsuit claiming that he thinks it was because he was black. 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I don't know if Delta did the right thing or, or not. seems to me when you do have emergency situations, you should be able to figure out ways to accommodate the people who are experienced with that, experiencing those emergencies. And what's the guy supposed to do, pee in his pants? I mean, I don't mean to be graphic, but that's the question. That said, he ignored a flight attendant's instructions. And as a result of that, the plane had to go back to the concourse. Everybody had to get off the plane. They had to reboard, and he got tossed off. 
I don't think that this is a, a matter of, of racial discrimination. It's a matter of a customer refusing to follow flight instruction, flight instructions. Now, they might have been stupid instructions. They might have been not as accommodating as they should have been. But racial discrimination, 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Sorry, you're going to have to have a lot more than they apparently have to convince me of that. There, there's no allegations that people used racial slurs or things like that. They just told him, you're off the plane because we told you you couldn't get out of your seat or we were going to lose our place in the takeoff line. He got out of his seat, and as a result, he got booted off the plane. 414-799-1620. Why does everything have to be about race nowadays? We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. 215, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 218, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. I admit that this stuff just makes my head hurt. I understand that there is real racism in this world, and whenever you find that real racism, it needs to be singled out and it needs to be condemned. At the same time, I am so sick of seeing the race card played over and over and over again, and at least based on what is public. This seems to be another one of those situations. If you're just tuning in, here's the deal. 40-year-old African-American man on a return flight back to Milwaukee from Atlanta. It's last April. Maybe you heard about this at the time. He's on the tarmac. He's on the plane. You know, seat belts fastened. The plane is in line to take off. And passengers aren't allowed to get out of their seats. He has to go to the bathroom. All right. He gets up. They say, sorry, sir, you, you, you can't. You have to get back in your seat. You're, you're not allowed to get up. He says, I got to go. He sits down for a couple minutes and then says, OK, I got to go. Gets up, goes back anyways. When he comes back, they say, you got to talk to the pilot. Pilot says, we've now lost our place in line. We've got to go back to the terminal. They get him off the plane and they toss him off the plane for disregarding flight intended instructions. All right. He's interviewed by the security people and the FBI there. They find that he's not a terrorist that he wasn't argumentative or disruptive, but he, he got up. And so there's no charges issued against him. Now he's filing a lawsuit against Delta, alleging that this was because of, wait for it, racial discrimination. My point is, you know, anybody who's going to ignore two instructions of the flight attendants in today's environment, you're going to get tossed off the plane. It's not like there's any suggestion that they said, we're tossing you off because you're black. They tossed him off because he ignored their instructions. You can argue that Delta was wrong in not figuring out a way to let him get up and relieve himself while the plane was waiting in line. I don't know what the FAA regulations are for that or not. But the truth is he ignored he ignored their instructions. And maybe you'd say, well, he was justified in that. Well, okay, this is a consequence. Should he be entitled, arguably, to get his money back? Maybe. I don't know about that. He filed a complaint with Delta. But a lawsuit alleging racial discrimination. Justin says, absolutely positively, no justification for a lawsuit. The airline did everything by the book, including reaccommodating him on another flight. Actually, they didn't. He had to buy a ticket on another plane. He disobeyed flight crew orders, and they were directly following FAA regulations about everyone being belted in when on an active taxiway or runway. Race is clearly not involved. Okay, so again, it's one of those situations where, I I don't know, should there be a better way of handling a situation where somebody has to, you know, go to the bathroom, has to relieve themselves while they're in that period of time after the plane has pushed back 
but before the plane takes off. Okay, maybe the FAA needs different rules. Maybe the airlines need different rules. Maybe it's ridiculous. Maybe people should just get up and be able to walk around any the cabin as much as they want up until the time that you know the plane is getting ready to take off. I don't know. I'm not a pilot. I don't make those things. But the rules are you got to stay seated. Those are what the rules are. He ignored this. And the, the bottom line is he, he had to suffer the consequences. Delta suffered consequences by getting bad publicity about this, at least in some corners. But racial discrimination, absent anything that says that somebody used racial slurs or whatever, they just said, we told you to sit down. You didn't sit down. We understand why you did it, but you're off the plane. Let's see a text. I find many of these cases, the accuser of racism exhibits all the signs of reverse racism. I hate that term. It's just the same as one side disliking, um, you know, another. It, that's Again, that's the frustrating type, type of, of stuff. Uh, Andrew writes, these rules are not Deltas, they're the FAA. Any airline employee is not going to risk breaking FAA regulations. Unfortunately, if you're in that situation, you got to hold it. He didn't hold it. He got tossed off the plane. Unfortunate. But now we're running into federal court saying you're a victim of discrimination. Give me a break. It's 2.22. When we come back, speaking of giving me a break, an update on a story out of Washington, D.C. No, this is not a political story. Stick around. 222, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 225, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Just a couple days remain until our Kids to Kids Christmas campaign is complete. This Friday night, bring a new unwrapped toy to Panther Arena to watch the Admirals take on Iowa at 7 p.m., and you will receive a buy one, get one ticket offer for a future Admirals game. Help those who need it this holiday season with Kids to Kids Christmas from WTMJ, the Salvation Army, and of course our friends at Capco Metal Stamping and the big uh, finale to the Kids to Kids Christmas campaign this Saturday starting at 9 o'clock at Capco in Grafton. Hope to see you out there. All right, a couple weeks ago I I told you about this story and we, we discussed it extensively. It is another one that just makes my head want to explode. Um, the the metro, which is like the subway in in D.C., very very traveled. Um, they they have a rule which prohibits religious themed Christmas advertisements. They, they it prohibits religious themed ads. So it, it's Christmas time, right? And so you have all sorts of ads on the metro advertising. Christmas gifts. Here, you know, give that certain someone special the particular gift. Here it is. You know, that this is it. And so there's all these Christmas-themed ads, including ads that use the word Christmas on them. It's not, hey, for holiday giving, it's here. Buy your Christmas presents here. Christmas gift ideas. So what happens is the Archdiocese, the Catholic Archdiocese of Washington, they want to put advertisements on the Metro and what they're trying to do is they're trying to direct people to a, a website they have, um, find the perfect gift. And, and what the, the whole purpose of this is to kind of reinforce that the meaning of Christmas is more than, you know, just going out and buying a gift for somebody. But there is this larger purpose as well. So this, this website, Find the Perfect Gift, directs people to church services in the area and things like that. So they come up with this ad, and the ad, it's um, it's it's like a, a takeoff on 
on the star in the east. You know, it's got it's very it's very Spartan. It's got um, a couple wise men and their camels or whatever, and they're looking away, and it's presumably Jerusalem, and there's a star, and, and you can see that, that that's what it is. It's a very very simple type of thing, and the Catholic Archdiocese wants to put this on there, and the Metro system says no. Well, we can't allow religious-themed advertising. And they say, around Christmas, they say, well, wait a second. You, you, you can allow other forms of Christmas advertising. And on top of that, by the way, if you want to, argue, if you want to advertise a 1-900 sex line, you know, spend money, call up, and somebody will talk dirty to you, you can put those things all over the metro. But the Catholic Archdiocese says, you mean to tell me that we can't put up something, an ad showing a couple wise men looking at a star um, with a, a reference to find the perfect gift. you got to be kidding me. You can have the sex line up there, but you can't have that. You can have the Christmas presents up there, but you can't have that. Metro says, yep, that, that's right. Um, yesterday, a federal judge appointed by Barack Obama, no surprise, agreed with Metro and said, well, no, here, here's the deal. Yes, th- there's Christmas, but there's two aspects of Christmas. There's the secular Christmas, and then there's the, the non-secular Christmas. And, and yes, I don't think that it's unreasonable to say you can talk about Christmas in one context, but you can't talk about Christmas in another context. So, Archdiocese, you are out of luck. This is absurd on, on so very many levels. To me, it is a plain violation of the First Amendment rights of the Archdiocese of Washington, but it also demonstrates this hysteria that we have about, again, the the separation of church and state. If there is an inappropriate ad, I, I think the Metro people have every right to say this is inappropriate, but this idea that you can advertise a gift card for a nine one nine hundred sex line. You know, give that as a Christmas gift. That that's okay. But an advertisement that says, "Hey, if you're kind of bummed out this Christmas and you're looking to try to find some meaning, here's a website you can go to." You can't advertise that. Seriously, where does this thinking come from? And to the extent judges judges support these ridiculous decisions. Maybe we need to have a look at how we select some of these judges. Just saying. 234, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. You can now listen to WTMJ on your favorite, on your Amazon device. From news and weather updates to the latest out of Lambeau, your show, your favorite shows, podcasts, and much more. I have to stop here for a minute, Cruz, producing the show. Dan Dan, our social media man, came over, gave a special demonstration of this to John McCure and I. And, you know, the instructions and how you do this and all so we could explain it to people. Then he gets to the podcast page and it lists the podcast and it's got like Sports Central and Wisconsin's Morning News and a Packer thing. And it doesn't have my podcast, doesn't have McCure's podcast. I'm going, okay, wait a second, what's going on here? It's kind of like the original Gilligan's Island. Like the first year they, they listed a number of the castaways, but they didn't mention Marianne and the Professor. Well, well, McCure and I were Marianne and the Professor today, but... They promised me they're going to get that fixed. It's in any event. Um, it's now available with the simple phrase Alexa Open WTMJ for more information and easy setup instructions. Text the word Alexa A L E X A to four one four seven nine nine one six twenty or go online to WTMJ.com. See, I'm going to I, that I'm going to teach I'm going to teach Dan Dan the social media man to come and do this demonstration. Hey, there's people can listen to your podcast and it's not listed on the Alexa thing. 
we'll get past that. By the way, go to WTMJ.com. I know a lot of people do check out the podcasts. I very much appreciate that. All right. I was looking through USA Today this morning, and um, they have a list of 15 cars and trucks that automakers are dropping in 2018. Now, it's kind of interesting because you have cars, sometimes GM, sometimes, you know, Detroit, sometimes the big auto companies come out with cars and they never take off. Other times they come out with cars, very, very popular, and then somehow they, they just kind of end up going away. All right, here's a couple of the cars and trucks that are, are disappearing. Uh, Buick Verano. Um, uh, it was the cutting-edge compact Verano um, at the wild, very, very popular, not selling now, um, gone. Uh, Chevrolet SS, big, powerful SS, was a favorite among performance fans. That's gone. Uh, Chrysler 200, Fiat Chrysler never made a hit out of the 200, even though it was heavily advertised. The Dodge Viper, the Viper was one of the hottest American cars on the road, performance leader of the Dodge brand after a run of many years, the model and the factory that makes it are going away. The Hyundai Azera, um, which was kind of like a mid-sized sedan. The Infiniti QX70 um, is going away. Let me see a couple of the other ones that are disappearing as we move forward. The Jeep Patriot, uh, Lexus CT200. That was a little hybrid hatchback. Um, eh, eh, eh. Mercedes-Benz B-Class. Um, car came to the U.S. as a compact hydrogen-powered vehicle, limited production only available in California. Mitsubishi Lancer, um, Nissan Quest is going to be dumped. Volkswagen CC, um, which was just a coupe that got old. So there's a number of these cars that are going away. And candidly, of the list, with the possible exception of the Dodge Viper, um, most of these are kind of like, eh, you know, they're 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 kind of ubiquitous would be the word, um, unless, you know, you're a real enthusiast of one of those types of cars. I was, however, thinking uh, as I was taking a walk down memory lane about the different cars that I have, have owned. And the, the truth is, I'm not a car guy like you might be a car guy. To me, I've always... Cars are transportation, and, and I want to be reliable transportation. Now, if it's I, I like driving. If they're fun to drive and they've got bells and whistles, that, that's a plus. I, I enjoy that. But I'm not somebody that really necessarily falls in love with cars, which is a good thing. I, I always believe if it can't love you back, you, you shouldn't love it. But, but there have been cars that I've enjoyed more than others. And I, I actually I had, I had a Honda Prelude. I want to say it was like an 85 Honda Prelude. And having said that, you know, you shouldn't love cars. I love that car. It was a sporty little car. Um, this is Honda changed the design a couple times and actually ruined it. And then people stopped buying it. But but the car I owned, and like I said, I want to, I want to say it was 84, 85. I mean, it was a red little, um, it, you know, it would never be mistaken for, you know, a, a super sports car, but it had great styling on it. It had good pickup. I, I loved that car. And it was the first car I purchased after I got out of law school. So it had some sentimental value on it. And like I said, I would have, you know, I ended up trading it in on a more practical car or something like that. And then Honda changed what the preludes uh, were. And then they, they, they kind of killed the line and it sort of went away. But I missed that Honda prelude. So I was thinking about, okay, these cars being discontinued. I was thinking about that car that I used to like that I really miss. 
I want to do a segment, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. In honor of the Dodge Viper and another number of other cars going away at the end of 2017, what's the car you miss? Is there a car in your life that you say, boy, I, I really miss that car? Maybe it's... Uh, again, maybe it's the, the car that was your first car. You know, maybe it was that, that car that you just remember having a lot of fun with. But I really miss that car. I wish they made them like that. Or I wish they made them. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's have some fun this segment. Walk down memory lane. I really miss that car. For me, it's probably that 1980-something Honda Prelude, which candidly... If they still made that car, I think I'd probably look at buying something like that. 414-799-1620. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. Have a little bit of fun on a chilly Wednesday afternoon. It's 241. This is Jeff Wagner. 243, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Just a couple days remain until our Kids to Kids Christmas campaign is complete. This Friday night, bring a new unwrapped toy to Panther Arena to watch the Admirals take on Iowa at 7 o'clock, and you will receive a buy one, get one ticket offer for the future for a future Admirals game. Help those who need it this holiday season with Kids to Kids Christmas from WTMJ, the Salvation Army, and Capco Metal Stamping. Uh, Ron Johnson, Senator Ron Johnson, is going to join us at 208 tomorrow, talk about the tax thing. Also, I loved his line today. They said, you know what, how do you react to Roy Moore, you know, losing? And his line was, I guess voters in Alabama don't like uh, middle-aged men that date 14-year-old girls. I think that kind of uh, says it all. 414-799-1620. All right, we're talking about cars that you miss. I miss, this is Justin, I miss my old AMC Levi's Gremlin. Huh. I would have never thought anybody would have said they missed a gremlin, but I miss my AMC Levi's gremlin. Cute, unique, chopped look, jeans for seats, and over 500 miles on a tank of gas, um, though it was a 20-gallon tank. Well, 414-799-1620. Let's start with Chuck in Beaver Dam. Chuck, you're first. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. A 1974 Volkswagen Super Beetle. That thing was just fantastic during the winter. <laughs> it was cold. It was cold, but it got through. All, it got. It, it, it would go through anything. It would. Okay, remind me what the, what was the difference between a regular beetle and a super beetle? <laughs> uh, yeah, good question. Okay, all right. Fair, okay, I really don't know. Okay, fair. Okay, fair, fair enough. Thanks. I was just. I, I was just. I was just kind of wondering about. Uh, you know, I was just wondering if there was something special about that. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's talk to Paul and Kenosha. Paul, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Justin Cratch. Congratulations on your marriage. Thank you very much. I'm very fortunate. I'm a lucky guy. Yes, you are. Yep. Um, I had a 74 Gremlin. <laughs> oh, did you? <laughs> He's a junk. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, that, was, that's not your dream car. That 74 Gremlin isn't your dream car, right? No, but uh, on the same lines, American Motors made a 68 to 69 AMX. It was sharp, it was cheap, and it was fast. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, w- I wound up getting a 74 Javelin AMX. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's... They, 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 the, I'm sorry, your, your phone's breaking up there. Yeah, that's kind of the... Yeah, we, we went from the, 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 the 68 and 69 to the, to the Javelin to the Gremlin. 414-799-1620. Clinton in Hales Corners. Clinton, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thank you for having me. Yes, sir. Um, our car was actually it was my dad's. He drove a 1985 Prelude, the exact one that you're describing. It was a red color. Oh. I just remember having fun 
like over the summer months. And then the winter months, he would put it up on blocks. Um, there was one unfortunate time I do remember he did get it stuck just randomly in a ditch, just given that the weather struck early. Yeah, you know, but I tell you, I had, you know, it had front wheel drive, so, but it, it, it was a light car. Yeah, I mean, and, but it was, it was kind of fun. So you remember having fun with that car too, huh? Oh, I definitely remember having fun in that car. I remember the fact that it had no airbags. Yeah. I do remember the most fun. Uh, being in that car was just those summer drives. Yeah, really enjoying it. No, exactly. Thanks for calling. I always um, I, see people lock their keys in the car. I not only locked my keys in the car, but I had the keys. The, the car was running when I locked the keys in the car. I, I was racing to a court appearance outside the old federal building, and, and I remember. And you really had to work to do that because the only way you could lock the door with the keys in the car is you had to like hold up the door handle you had to work at it however it was i'm in a complete hurry i'm running late i run out i shut the door as i'm shutting the door i realize the keys are in the car the car is running this is on michigan street downtown milwaukee eight o'clock in the morning i have locked the, the car and the car is running and it's running and i'm thinking oh my god what do you do now and so i i, I call my wife and i try to explain this and I, I i wake her up and she's like you've done what you know what do you want me to do well you know it's like yeah well i'll be there when i get there you go to court and if the car is gone that's what we have insurance for i love that car 414-799-1620 scott in exonia scott you're on wtmj hello yes jeff i uh, had a 71 charger dodge charger right and uh, it had that uh, the four speed, and then it had plus it had the big motor. It had the four forty, right? And with a six pack, so that meant three <laughs> carburetors on it, right? So you, you really didn't go too far in a gas uh, tank of gas back then. But it was it was one heck of a car, you know. Just being out of high school, you know, you were you were pretty much king. But prior to that, I had a six nine charger, so I was kind of in that line always, right? But they'd still make them today. But if they'd still make them in two doors. I'd probably buy one, but they're four doors. That's, that's, it, it defeats the purpose. Same, it defeats the purpose. Car, you know, that'd be like putting four doors on a Challenger. You know? <laughs> right. It's it's right. That's it. You know, right. Muscle cars aren't meant to be sedans. I get that. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Jeff, I miss the Geo Tracker. I owned four of them. They were a great little SUV um, and were built like a tank. And the convertible was as cool as you can possibly get. Ah, uh, yeah. See, there you go. Let's talk to. Let's see, Mike in uh, Milwaukee. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Mike. The first car that I actually paid money for <laughs> was a 1962 Impala SS convertible, and uh, it was a nice car. It was fun. I got it in May of 71, and it was stolen by August. <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, I mean, I knew, uh, I knew a, a couple other people that had them, and I guess... That must have been a card that, well, you didn't need a key to start it, you know. And if, if you locked a convertible, they just went through the top, so right. I never locked it. And, uh, boy, it was gone like a flash. And, uh, like I said, I knew a few other people that had them, and they were all stolen, too. Did you, uh, that, I got, did yeah, you get another after convertible that I, after that? Uh, after that, actually, I ended up with a uh, 1968 Coronet RT 440 four-speed. So I was uh, into drag racing yeah. then. 
I was going to say you you like looking for the muscle cars. Thanks. For, I mean, I have a I had a friend who had a uh, had an Impala convertible. It would have been about ten years later. We used to love driving around in that thing. It was just I can remember going to drive-in movies. Yes, I am of that age. You'd go to drive-in movies with the convertible with the top down and stuff, and uh, that was that was just a lot of fun. Let's talk to Ann in Milwaukee. Ann, you're on WTMJ. I really miss what car? Yes, I miss my 1984 Oldsmobile Delta 88 Royale. Oh, it was a big, sturdy car with a, um, <laughs> it was a royal blue with a velour, like crushed velvet seats. Oh, it was so beautiful. And, and um, I ended up, uh, and I loved it. I, I know what you're saying about if it doesn't love you back to love, but I loved it. And unfortunately, on a day like this, Someone veered into me and lost control and totaled it and bent my frame, but we didn't have a scratch on us. Oh yeah, I was gonna. I was gonna say yeah. Th- th- those deltas, um, they they were built to last. No question oh, about that. Yes, they were, and I missed my car. And thank you for having the fun. It was well, very enjoyable to listen to. It. Well, thank you. I just thought, well, in you know, every year they discontinue some of these models, and I was thinking, you know. We do have attachments to our cars. Um, Gary in Kenosha. Gary, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Yes. Hello. My car was a 71 uh, Camaro um, uh, Z28 with all the fixings. I loved the cars of that era. You know, the, the Firebirds and the uh, Trans Ams and, right, uh, and the Camaros. Yeah. Striping. Yeah. And uh, a beautiful car. I really feel bad about selling it. Uh, I got a company car when I got out of college. And uh, that car cost me five hundred dollars in depreciation only. <laughs> Should have never sold it. Yeah, it's one of those. That, and and of course, you know, I I know they've made Camaros over the years, but there there was something about the the Camaros that they were making in the early seventies and the mid seventies. And it sounds like we might be about the same age. That I just you, that just I don't know that they, they they were never able to recapture that. I don't think. You know the Papa John commercial that has uh, his Camaro there, the right? gold one. Right. That's the one with the striping on it. Just oh, have it. okay. Got it. All right. right. Thanks for the call. Let's talk to Renata in New Berlin. Hi. Oh, Jeff. I had a 1971 Buick Skylark. Mm-hmm. Turquoise blue with a cream-colored interior and a cream-colored roof. It was amazing. I told my parents that's the kind of car I was looking for. And they came up to where I was working at the time with that car. That was my very first car. Oh, my God. When I saw that car, I was jumping up and down. I have, uh, I've got a 1971 Buick Skylark story. I do. What is, what is it? My, okay, when I was in high school, the, the fir- I, was, uh, I, 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 I got to admit, I dated older women. And the first woman I seriously dated I was a freshman, and she was a sophomore. She was 16. She could drive, and she had a 1971 Buick Skylark. So she would drive when we would go out on dates, um, and, and we would drive. I just thought it was the coolest thing in the world. You know, none of my friends were old enough to have their driver's license, but I had, I had an older woman with a car, and it was a 1971 Buick Skylark. <laughs> I, I was the only one of, of my friends that, had a car so <laughs> you were popular. I was the one that gave rides to school and back oh. and everywhere else but it was the oh my god when that car finally died on me i cried and oh, cried oh yeah no i i understand now my producer here thanks to call around my, my producer here grew is, is wondering I, I thought you were going to tell a different story about something with your girlfriend in a 1971 buick skylark no 
the whole story was just that I was 14 or 15, she was 16 and a half, and when we would go out on dates, she would pick me up and, and drive. And, like, you, you'd say, okay, did that affect the male ego or anything? No! I was, it's, 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 she was an older woman that had a car. I mean, my goodness, who could want more than that? Life doesn't get much better than that when you're a 14 and a half year old guy. You're dating an older woman who's got wheels. And she was very, she was a very nice, didn't work out between us, but she was a very nice gal who I still, every once in a while, run into from time to time every few years. It is 2.54 in just a couple minutes. Let's see. Um, uh, 1974 Amex. Uh, uh, let's see. 2002 Saab. Uh, 78, v, 73 VW. 66 Tudek Cavalier. A Volvo. Yeah, just, okay, cold winter's night. Just think back to that car that you loved that you don't have anymore. It is 254. We'll find out what John McCure and Melissa Barkley have on their minds in just a moment. Please stick around.